0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts.
1: This is KYW News Radio in Depth. I'm Brian Seltzer. Omicron is here in Philadelphia. And a lot of people have questions about it. How the region's doing. What are the reactions to this new variant? How are hospitals holding up? Things like that. So every once in a while when there's something important to talk about, we ask reporters at KYW News Radio to join us for a Twitter Spaces chat to break down what people should know, which is exactly what we did today. So pop in your AirPods, put on the Beats, crank up your speaker, whatever it is, and check out our conversation recorded as a podcast with me, Pat Loeb, Jim Melwert, and Tim Jim Jimenez. Enjoy. People out there, thanks so much for hanging out in yet another KYW News Radio Twitter space chat. I'm Brian Seltzer, really pumped to have Pat Loeb, Jim Melwert, Tim, and some of our other KYW News Radio peeps in the room with us as we look back on. What I think, I mean, obviously it's been like nonstop for almost two years with COVID updates and COVID news. But I feel like there was uh, different twists and turns, a lot of different things that happened this past week. Um, So why don't we go around the room? We'll go Pat, Jim and Tim and kind of give your headline of the week for what you cover, respectively, your respective beats, your headline or big takeaway for the week on the COVID front.
2: Uh, Okay. well, you know, cases keep Rising again in Philadelphia, it's very disturbing. Um, the city is looking at some additional steps, so stay tuned for that. They're going to announce them early next week. I don't know exactly what they are. They don't know exactly what they are yet, but uh, something something is coming.
3: Similarly, cases up uh, across the suburbs, uh, hospitalizations compared to a year ago, uh, not seeing uh, a rise. They're actually about a third of, of what they were. Uh, a year ago, uh, and a lot of the focus in the suburbs, especially in school districts, is on the uh, PA Supreme Court, which is deciding uh, what should happen with the Pennsylvania requirement that everyone in schools wear masks, uh, that the, the Supreme Court heard arguments uh, earlier this week, and they will decide not going to expire anyway in January. So school boards are going to have to go through what they went through over the summer and determine uh, what their mask policies will be. And we saw how fun that was uh, over the summer.
1: Tim, anything stand out to you from, I feel like you have such a a diverse set of things that you cover, but I know that you were on it earlier this week uh, and a couple of weeks ago as well. Anything jump out to you? Uh,
0: Yeah. At the airport earlier this week, because of the new requirement that you have to show proof of a negative COVID test result within a day of traveling into the United States, uh, this is in response to Omicron. It used to be 72 hours, but uh, now today. And, and it's important to note that the CDC is saying they're not giving that 24-hour period because they want to provide a little bit of flexibility here. So uh, they gave the example: if your flight is 1 p.m. on Friday, you could board with the negative COVID test result uh, that was taken the day before, so Thursday. That that would be considered to be okay. Uh, so this, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've been vaccinated or not. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, we, again, if you're an American citizen or not, uh, when you fly into the United States, you have to have this negative COVID test result within a day. And, uh, you know, that's something new. Anyone two and up has to go through this. And, you know, you think about if you're overseas, you really have to, I would guess, you know, I haven't done this, but you have to study up on what, you know, what's testing like there when your destination, and then what's that going to be like when you head back to the United States. So that's a little complicated, I think, but, uh, It's just something that I guess we're having to live with right now.
2: Tim, do those tests have to be a PCR test or is a rapid, will a rapid test do?
0: Yeah, rapid tests are good according to the CDC. And uh, one thing you can do, I guess, let's say you're here in the U.S. and you're traveling out outside of the country, maybe bring a few of these at-home tests with you if you can find them. Uh, That might be a decent idea. Uh, So then you just have to show proof. Uh, that you did take the test over there and then you can bring it to uh, the airline. Uh, The airline is the
1: one that that has to uh, verify all this. It's crazy because to me, it seems like in certain parts of the area, at least here in Philadelphia, it's difficult enough to find a place to get testing or to find even at home tests. So I can't even imagine, like you said, Tim, what it'd be like trying to figure out how to do it in a foreign country. If people speak a different language, that is definitely an intriguing dynamic to this whole thing.
0: Yeah. And also if you've tested if you have had covid before you can still test positive for up to uh, i think they say what is it 90 days uh, so it you know that could throw a few wrenches in but they say you have to show proof that you recovered from it that uh, that uh, you've signed you got signed off by a doctor or a public health official that you've gone through isolation and that uh, you're okay that you, yeah but that's something if you have tested positive before and you do continue to test positive uh, you have to show proof Uh, that you recovered from COVID. So that's another wrinkle to this whole thing, too.
1: This time last week, it felt to me as if Omicron was on the front of everyone's mind, that it was still viewed as this emerging thing, this emerging threat. Possibly we didn't know a ton about it. But then this past week, we got some news about some developments on that front, how some of the vaccines and the boosters perform against Omicron. Again, we can go around the room. Jim, I'll start with you. Do we know more about Omicron now than we did this time a week ago when the first case was confirmed in the Philadelphia area, do you think?
3: Well, and, and Pfizer came out and said that their vaccine uh, works against it, which I think is good news for for everyone. Um, but uh, I, I, with all this, I, I think as, you, as we learn new things, we have to remember that anecdotes aren't evidence. So right. anecdotes aren't evidence, just Antidotes, uh, vaccines, antidotes, (laughs) anecdotes are are, are not evidence. So you're going to hear things piecemeal. That doesn't mean, you know, it's hard to kind of say long term what that's, what that, that's going to look like. Um, so I think that's the important thing as, as you get a a new variant. Uh, and you also have to remember, you know, who, who tests for variants and, and we don't do much of that in the U.S. Uh, we don't do much of that in PA. So, you know, all those things keep being, keep all those things in mind as we talk about Omicron and and what it can mean. But yeah, you know, I guess you know the, the, one of the keys is that the Pfizer vaccine is still effective against it.
2: Yeah, you know, the, Philadelphia has acutely felt that we don't do enough uh, testing of samples for what variant or strain they are, and so they're actually talking about setting up their own lab within the health department. To do that.
1: Huh, what would that take, Pat?
2: Money, as, <laughs> as always. <laughs> of course. But yeah, the, but they're looking at the budget to, to figure out how to do that because, you know, they, they think it's really important to understand what's driving this this increase that we're seeing right now. For my own and sanity, I, I think...
3: I, go I, ahead, It's I'm really I, important to, to note that it, it's hard to say that Delta caused a surge. Like, the surge happened because Seasonal, and we come together, and we get indoors. So a lot of things lead to a surge in cases. Most of them are human behavior. So you know, and and naturally, the way a, a respiratory virus spreads. Um, so while Delta was the predominant variant th- during a surge, it's not really correct to say Delta caused the surge. Same thing here with Omicron. You're kind of putting the cart before the horse when you say Omicron is causing a surge. Just because it's the dominant variant during a surge that is going to happen, we've seen now for two years that this virus goes in in ebbs and flows. And I think the big thing that we need to be looking at right now, instead of case counts, is severity of cases. And and you're seeing, you know, in in, in Montgomery County, I pulled some numbers. I want four people with them, but it's about a third of what hospitalizations were right now and what they were a year ago. Now, you know that. Doesn't necessarily line up with where we were in case counts last year, um, but but vaccines are proving to be effective. So we can talk about variants and all these things. Bottom line is, get vaccinated. Yeah, vaccines work. I mean, it, it's so simple. Vaccines work, and and sometimes it feels like we we take our eye off the ball and we start talking about variants and other that. Obviously, it's important to pay attention to. It, but bottom line, it's simple. Just get vaccinated. And right now, you know, we just, we just got an email before we started this from uh Senate leader, Republicans in the Senate who are asking the governor to reconvene the vaccine joint task force because they're saying that hospitals are are starting to see uh a rise in, in um in capacity uh and the number of ICU beds. And that's that's not just COVID, that's kind of everything. But when you look at numbers here in, in Southeastern PA, this part of the state's doing much better. And and I mean it's not it's not out of line to say, look at the vaccine rates of southeastern PA compared to other parts in the state. Uh, and and when you pull up, you know, where you're seeing high case counts in, in Pennsylvania, you know, it's Mifflin, Fulton, Center, Armstrong, Elk, Columbia counties, the, the very red middle center states where people have been uh, anti-vaccine. Now, you know, that gets into the whole Mandate, and I'm going to stop talking because I don't want to dominate this whole thing. But that gets into you know we that part of Pennsylvania, the very conservative part of Pennsylvania. If you tell them to do something, they're going to say you're not going to tell me what to do. So, you know, then you start talking about vaccine mandates and and the benefits of those, and whether or not they're actually, uh, uh, you know, counterproductive because people will dig their heels in. But like I said, I'm going to stop talking because. <laughs>
1: Well, Jim, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that letter up that the General Assembly sent to Governor Wolf um, that you dropped in our Slack channel right before we start. I'd love to get Tim, Jim and Pat, all three, your reaction to this um, and not to politicize the conversation. But it does seem like there's one party that is more towards the side of you're not going to tell me what to do. And there's another side that's more cautious about its approach and how we try and mitigate and manage this virus. So how do you reconcile this letter where it seems like it's joint leadership from across the General Assembly sending this letter to Governor Wolf uh, that's asking what at least on the surface seems like, you know, a very proactive measure, a sensible measure um, to get things going again with this task force?
3: Well, this letter, this is Republican leadership in both the House and Senate. That's it's 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 the the four Republican leaders from from the House and Senate who are asking uh, for this. So I, I think that's noteworthy. I think that's. Yeah, you know that that you have Republicans saying, "Look, we got to do something in Pennsylvania." But I, you know, and I don't know. I think Republicans, maybe conservatives, may be more likely to dig in their heels to a, a man, but I think that there are a lot of uh, a lot of people across the board who, will if you tell them to do something, their natural reaction is going to be like, "I'm not doing it." You can't tell me what to do, and that's you know, unfortunate in, in this case, perhaps, but it's also kind of you know, in, in the American value, for better or worse.
2: Yeah, but we've had the vaccine for a whole year now. So I think the people that were going to do it voluntarily have done it. And it's just not fair to them to let other people get away with not doing it. I mean, yeah, the efficacy. Well, see, I would and- flip
3: that on its head. I would flip that on its head and say, hey, look, vaccine's out there. You know, it's it's available for everyone five and up. If you're not going to get it, it's on you and we're just – that's it, – it's, it's your problem now. Oh.
1: Tim, what was the scene like at the airport earlier this week where people um, upset, frustrated with some of the travel restrictions? Was it scramble mode, people trying to figure out what to do? Because I think that scenario that you painted earlier, like, <laughs> hey, what if I'm overseas and these restrictions uh, were handed down and now I've got to try to get back into the country – um, if I were in that situation, I would be uh, at minimum freaked out, um, at most like going completely nuts trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to
0: talk to anyone coming off an international flight, didn't line up with the time I was there. But uh, being there a few weeks back, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, people were so happy to be there, uh, to be traveling somewhere, to spend Thanksgiving with their family members who they haven't seen in quite a while, maybe a few years. Uh, so, and this is obviously, this is before Omicron became a thing that we all knew about. Uh, so maybe, I don't know how much that would have changed their opinions had that, you know, we found out about Omicron, you know, a few days before Thanksgiving, for example. Uh, but people were really excited to get out. Uh, they were really excited to, to again, spend the holiday with their family members. And then of course, the upcoming holidays as well, they're excited about, I can't help but put myself in their shoes and thinking about some of the complications in coming back home.
1: Pat, can I put you on the spot? If we, I was going to ask everyone to perhaps share a a personal experience with COVID, whether it's just people you know or scenarios you've observed in your personal life, but can I put you on the spot with that? Sure, sure. Share what you went through? Yeah, I
2: had a breakthrough case, uh, so probably Delta. Um, I didn't get a booster just, you know, because I felt protected with two shots, and uh, then we went to a a large event, which was the New York marathon. Um, my daughters and I went to cheer on my husband. My husband did get a booster. And at the end of the day, uh, apparently my daughters and I, all three of us unboostered had gotten COVID and my husband did not. So I'm a big believer in boosters. And, but then I thought, But now that I've had it, I can put off getting a booster for a few months, right? Because I must be immune and now the Omicron variant. So I am going to get a booster (laughs) this week.
1: Crazy. And I know that you've been kind of like working the last couple of weeks just to get back to to feeling how you were before the breakthrough happened.
2: Yeah, no, I I couldn't breathe. I mean, you know, it just seemed to never end, although I was testing negative um, from 10 days after, just like the The general model is that COVID was gone, but my immune system was so whipped that I got something else, and so it's been like continual. Jim, I know something that
1: you've been covering in recent weeks is the accessibility of vaccines to kids, teenagers. Any findings or key takeaways that you're able to pull from your reporting, especially out in the suburbs, which I know is kind of like a hotbed area where people are looking at this
3: yeah I, I don't have any hard and fast numbers i probably should have done a little research with the state i don't know how much they break it down um but but just anecdotally in in the circles that i'm in i know people were very excited you know i have i have a, a seven and an eight-year-old or excuse me six and a seven-year-old and uh in that age range i know people were, were were very excited to to have that have the vaccine available to those kids and just kind of a, a sigh of relief now. Uh, you know, my, my two have their, have got their second shots the day before Thanksgiving. And, you know, like they're, they're on swim teams and just being around other parents, I know it's just, uh, you know, a, a, a relief there um, that, that you have the, uh, the availability of a vaccine um, and, and just everything else that it, that it helps to do, uh, especially with, you know, when you're dealing with schools and, and, and virtual and, and, you know what we went through last year, where all schools closed down, uh, or, or when all schools went virtual. You know, around Christmas because you expect as people to get together again, the human behavior aspect of holidays, you're, you're going to see cases. And and again, that's why I say I think we need to start looking at the the outcome of those cases and the severity of those cases. Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants people to get sick. Um, but you know, the, there's the the other side of of this. You know, especially when you're talking about children. You know, I have a second grader who's never had a a, a full day of school that didn't involve masks and, and COVID precautions. So, um, wow. you know, just, uh, you know, how, how do we kind of take that next step? I guess and I, I think that the the vaccine being available for that age group has, has just been a huge uh move toward uh, that, you know, endemic part of this rather than the pandemic part of it.
1: Tim, I know you typically cover the news of the day for the station. Um, As you look back over the last 12 months, has there been anything that's changed from just, you know, your observations of the general rhythms day-to-day of the city, of the region, um, for how people are handling this, living with it, um, trying to manage it as we head into possibly a third year of living with the pandemic? I think
0: initially it was – a weird feeling to be just out and about. So we're talking about last March and the few months after that, and I think you know it just felt weird and just scary because we really didn't know too much. And then I think as it's progressed since then, of course, that fear is you know is there are there it is certainly uh, the the pandemic is certainly something we should all be mindful of and, and do our best to help control. But I think as the months have gone on, and here we are, uh, the second holiday season in this pandemic world that we're living in, that uh, more people are comfortable being out. And of course that is a big part of that is because of the vaccinations and that's been huge. So I think it's just been interesting to see how, where we've come from since March of last year to where we are now and the businesses that are back open, you know, the restaurants that are, that are open, the weddings that are taking place. I was at a wedding a a few weeks back, uh, 150, 200 people there. (laughs) I was freaking out, honestly, internally. Uh, but, um, and we know the couple was, was vaccinated and boosted and, and, um, you know, I guess the hope is that every you know, a lot more people there were as well, but that's something to, that it's still around and it's something we're still thinking about.
1: Um, as we begin to wrap this up, first of all, thank you to the peeps in the chat who are hanging out, listening to another one of our Twitter spaces chats here from KYW news radio. Big shout out to Tim, Jim, and Pat for joining us, taking some time out from their day-to-day coverage to talk about the latest about COVID and Omicron. Um, guys, if we look ahead to 2022. Next frontiers for COVID. What do you think the next layer of this story is going to be as we approach 2022?
3: I'll start I, again. I think I think that the the transition from uh, the pandemic to endemic, and and we've had this conversation several times. Uh, you know, during this, where where you know we got, maybe got a little hopeful that uh, you know we might be turning a corner uh, and moving toward that uh, endemic side, but but at some point the the emergency part of this needs to end, and we need to to learn to live with it in the background. Uh, and and again, it, it, it's it's vaccine, you know. And Pat and I have had conversations in the past of you know, are we spending too much time focused on boosters, and should we instead be focused focusing energy less on boosters and more on getting that first shot. Dr. Paul Offit uh, from Children's Hospital is, is a big proponent of focusing more on the first shot than the third shot. Um, not to say that there's not a benefit to boosters, but you know, it, it's, it's really it's, people need to get vaccinated. I mean, that's that's the way that, that, and and not just here in the U.S. We need to be focused on other countries, uh, making sure that they have access to vaccine and that that you know the information's there to encourage them to get. And otherwise, we're just going to be on this hamster wheel for you know, an indeterminate amount of of time.
2: Yeah, we just need to get more people vaccinated. That's the bottom line. I think it's a false choice between boosters and first shots. There's plenty of vaccine available. We can do both. Yeah, Yeah, fair point. And and, uh, vaccine mandates work. I mean, I'm going to go back to something earlier that we were talking about, about whether people dig their heels in maybe but if your job's on the line, if your employer, some people will still not do it. But, I mean, nothing would get those people to do it. If there are people on the edge who kind of, yeah, I'll get a vaccine, but I'm not going to make an appointment or go somewhere to get it. Um If the, if there's a mandate from their employer, they'll go get it. And that's so, I think, uh, you know, there's just got to be more. Mandates. I mean, kids before they go to school, they have to be immunized against measles, mump, and rubella. Uh, rubella. You know, they should also have to be immunized against COVID 19. It's just got to be added to it so that we can get to a point where we like life gets back to, you know, something resembling what we used to know.
0: Yeah, I think about going off what Pat was saying. When are we going to have that moment? where it's like, oh, my goodness, we are, we're out of this, we or at least we're so close to getting out of this in 2022. I mean, that would be awesome. <laughs> Who knows with everything that's been going on. Uh, and, and I think about also, um, you know, after our second shot, right, okay, great, we're, we're protected, and then, okay, we're going to need a booster six months later. What's going to happen six months from now? Uh, what's that going to look like in terms of waning immunity? You know, will that be a thing that we'll have to be concerned about? And I also think about, you know, are we prepared for another pandemic? What, You know, down the road, is this going to be a wake up call for uh, people to really take public health seriously and try to prevent something like this from happening again or doing what we can to, you know, get through another pandemic? And, you know, obviously we're still in this one, but I think I would hope that, uh, you know, this is a game changer in terms of how we look at public health.
1: All right, guys, thanks again so much for hanging out in this chat before we sign off and say see you later and have a great weekend. The most interesting thing you covered, heard, saw this past week that did not have to do with COVID, why don't we go, Tim, Jim, Pat.
0: Yeah, that uh, story about that six-year-old girl who was in the backseat of that car that was stolen, uh, that, that was just wild. And then for the car to be found, across the street from the police station and that girl ended up being taken to the police station. She was fine. That was just a wild story from the other day. And, um, I believe they still haven't found whoever stole that car to begin with. So that is something that just, it's one of those wild stories. Thankfully, the girl's fine and, um, we'll see how it develops from there.
1: Yeah. I would have to imagine that covering a car chaser abduction, a lot goes into that.
3: I don't have a great answer for this yeah uh, the, uh, <laughs>
1: there's no the wrong congr- answers here jim
3: congressional maps and legislative maps are coming out for pennsylvania we're going to get a, a look at the preliminary maps or we're already seeing them now uh, and it's so that's you know the these the, the the 10s and 11s and 20s and 21s years are are, are just so important because it sets the, the tone for the next 10 years and, and what can happen Based on how those districts are, are drawn, people really need to pay attention because it 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 literally changes the state and changes the country for the next ten years.
1: But it sounds like there could be some maneuvering going on behind the scenes. Is that correct? Accurate
3: with the maps? Yeah, these are going to be preliminary. It's going to be uh, you know a month or so of of wrangling. To kind of get to a final product, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too bent out of shape about the the ones that are going to come out right now. I mean, I think it's important to to weigh in and share opinions and pressure legislators, uh, but I wouldn't. They're not set in stone; things will change.
1: My last question on this, just because I feel like I'm somewhat of a novice when it comes to following these stories. How much do elected officials look at from themselves in the redistricting process, oh, and how much do yeah. they looked at for party?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's it's. Fascinating how much, uh, legislative leaders, because legislative leaders are voted by the members and you don't want to anger an incumbent. So you're going to keep that in mind as you're, as you're drawing these districts that you're going to try to protect incumbents because they're the ones who are going to decide whether or not you're the leader the next time this comes around. So yeah, it's absolutely there's, there's that, it's, there's probably a balance on that, but I would say, uh, that generally it's more, it, it, it's it's, parties up there, but the incumbents don't want to lose their jobs. Cool.
1: Great insights from Jim.
3: Pat, most interesting non-COVID thing that you were following this
2: week? (laughs) I was really intrigued by the reaction uh, when the district attorney said that he didn't think there was a violent crime crisis in Philadelphia because he couldn't (laughs) have been more transparent for the last four years that he does not consider violent crime one of the city's major problems. I mean, he, he's been very clear about that. That's not, he doesn't do crime prevention at all in any way. So why it suddenly, I, I mean, maybe just his saying, you know, like just very straightforwardly, I don't think violent crime's a problem. You know, shocked people didn't shock me, but I was interested to, to watch the reaction
1: no doubt an interesting choice of words earlier this week for sure um well guys thank you so much for carving out some time to hang out in the chat today luca thank you for holding it down behind the scenes thank you to our great kyw peeps for populating this space and for the people who came in that's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Brian Seltzer, and we'll have another episode out soon.